purple get ready to roll indeed welcome back it is college and kimball if this is your first time joining us here we greatly appreciate the listen if you are a repeat defender we know you love your cats and we greatly appreciate all the the downloads and streams we've seen our numbers have a pretty significant spike here in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, not surprising with the uh, with the ten and three and the eleven and two season. So, uh, lots of fun seeing everybody participating and engaging with us on Twitter. If you haven't already, go ahead and give us a follow. It's college underscore Kimball. You'll find uh, my Twitter handle Jeff underscore Burkhardt, as well as Alex, Clint, and Justin's all linked out on that account. So please, by all means, go ahead and, and interact with us on Twitter. We love to hear all your takes on uh, any, any of our pods that you've listened to and anything about the upcoming season, anything and everything K-State football. We are here for it all. Uh, Going to have a, a smaller crew than usual tonight, just Clint and Alex on the show with us today. Uh, today. Nutter taking a brief absence, but we'll be back with us next week. So let's go ahead as we get ready to dive into the 2013 season, probably the most, um, I don't know if it's the right term, but politically charged season, let's say, uh, in recent memory uh, for a lot of different reasons that we'll obviously delve into as we get deeper into the podcast. But before uh, we dive into the 2013 season, we'll kind of rewind, look back at the season that was in 2012. K-State goes 11-2, and 8-1 and one in the Big 12. Technically, if you want to split hairs here, tied with Oklahoma for the conference championship, but the Cats did win that game head-to-head, and that's why they earned the berth in the BCS Bowl game, which they came up short against the Oregon Ducks. 35-17 to 17 was the final score in that contest. That was the fifth straight bowl loss for Kansas State. And um, as we take a look, a little bit larger look at how that season kind of wrapped up. And one of the big questions that kind of started to surface after that year, guys, was, is, is this going to be Bill Snyder's final season as head coach in Manhattan? Uh, And and you can honestly formulate a pretty good argument for either side of it. Uh, Clinton, we'll go ahead and start with you and then we'll pivot to Alex. What were your thoughts on that question as we rolled into the off season? I was very gung-ho on Snyder keeping the ball rolling. We had just won the Big 12 championship. I know his whole thing coming in was trying to calm the waters, maybe just being a bridge for the next guy. Um, But at that point in time, I wanted him to continue coaching, continue doing what he was doing. Uh, Yeah, I think – I don't think I wanted him to retire then. I thought, you know, we just won the Big 12 championship. Uh, let's kind of keep it going as long as things are looking good. Um, probably the year before, as we were going through the season undefeated, I think that was a storyline. Like, if we go undefeated, win a national championship, does he retire right off into the sunset? I think that would have been a more likely scenario. But I think how the year ended, uh, you know, losing <clears throat> our 11th game so close to a undefeated regular season and then kind of not a great performance in the bowl game. I think I just assume Snyder wouldn't want to go out that way. And uh, I, I think if it was a little deeper into 2.0, then you'd start maybe thinking about it more seriously, like, well, maybe it is time, but you know, that, that time came up pretty quick uh, after this, but not, not quite the right time. I think. 
it was very interesting to see where uh, a lot of our uh, listeners felt that this 2012 team ranked and uh, unquestionably it was the best of the 2.0 era and Clint you put it out on Twitter it was very fun to read through some of the responses there uh KSU underscore fan Jimmy uh, appreciate you getting in there posting the how this team stacked up on the S&P front and if you look at that and for those who are uninitiated on that I would strongly recommend you to check out Football Outsiders um, because for me to try and explain what S&P means in in a short amount of time is going to, it's not really feasible. S&P for for those who aren't really that familiar with it, it's more or less, while it is, again, big in analytics and metrics, it is more or less a measure of how dominant you are in what you do, how much you impose your will when we're talking about success on standard downs. We're talking about havoc rate on defense, um, success rate, yards per play, points per play, points per drive. All those fun little met- metrics are tied into the S&P rating system and whatnot. And the the 2012 team to that end it, it ranked 11th overall in S&P that season, 11th in offense, 30th in defense. Um, and it, as we look forward to 2013, it, it was honestly not too far behind it and in, in where 2013 ended up stacking up. But a lot of uh, the fans who got into that thread that you put out there, um, the general consensus was largely number two. And, and I th- honestly think it was uh, you, you can't really discount the Big 12 championship. And I think that was a big reason why Snyder wanted to stay as well to kind of bring it back full circle to what we were talking about. Um, Again, Ema underscore Coleman puts it as the second best squad behind 98 dare say the 2011 season was more fun due to the amount of close games. Hey man, uh, no, no doubt there. Uh, John Stork (laughs) apparently left the 2011 A&M game in the fourth quarter, bro. What are you doing? Why? Um, Looking through here, David Gladow under uh, David Gladow had it at number five, which was kind of surprising to see. That's that's pretty low uh, again, but you can make a pretty compelling argument either way because this one, if if you do really take a step back, it does kind of get lost in the shuffle here. Uh, Jeff Spradlin has it at sixth all time, but probably second in enjoyment. I think there's those are two metrics that you do kind of have to take into consideration there. So uh, appreciate everybody diving into that thread and, and again continuing to engage with with Clint and all of us on social media. So that being said, though, we'll we'll pivot forward and we'll look now. Uh, to 2013, uh, there's a pretty significant amount of roster turnover on the defensive side. Alex, uh, really, damn near everybody cleared out of that uh, that defensive front line that was the best in the Big 12 in 2012. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's no surprise having such a, a good year in 2012 when in the Big 12 that we were uh, very heavily upperclassmen, especially on the defensive side. Uh, so on offense, we lose Colin Klein, Offensive Player of the Year in the Big 12, Heisman finalist. Uh, we lose Chris Harper, who had been, you know, a, one of our more solid receivers um, for, I think he had three years of eligibility here. Is that correct? Yep. He played yep. for three years. Angelo it took Pisa. him a minute to get into 2010. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> Angelo Pease was a nice piece as a backup running back. He ran the Wildcat for us. Uh, Braden Wilson got drafted, uh, one of Clint's favorites for the fullback position. That defense, 
Oh, man. Arthur Brown, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Nigel Malone, Al- Bubba Allen Chapman, uh, cornerback pieces that we lost. Gerard Milo, Justin Tuggle, who former quarterback turned linebacker, who uh, played some in the league. Drell Childs. Adam Davis, Meshack Williams, Viola Tui, uh, rest in peace, Viola Tui. Big losses on the defensive line. So, yeah, this this was quite the undertaking to fill those gaps. Um, I'm not sure in K-State history where we've seen uh, that many contributors um, gone from one year to the next um, with having fairly good success after that. You know, we... We're going to get into 2013, but, you know, looking at that, just looking at who we lost, you know, and not knowing what happened in 2013, that's that's tough to overcome. But we would have lost uh, one Blake Slaughter would have been a senior in 2012, but they uh, they had him red shirt 2012 so he could play in 2013. I always really appreciated that from him because I would say he had a pretty good year in 2013. So. All right. <clears throat> yeah. Kudos yeah. to him because I don't think a lot of people would do that now. Start playing some games as a true freshman and then coming back to your senior season saying, yeah, I'll redshirt. I'll give this team another year. Especially going into 2012, like, hey, we're going to be pretty damn good this year. How would you like to not play? Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think I'm, that's a, that is a, a sure yeah. transfer portal. <laughs> Yeah, we uh very fortunate to have Blake Slaughter come back because uh, to your point, again, you lose six out of your top seven tacklers from the year before your Big 12 defensive player of the year, all everything linebacker and Arthur Brown. And, I, uh, and you, you, you can make a very compelling case that says he's probably the best linebacker K-State's had at that point, certainly over the last decade, I mean, you really do have to go back to Josh Buell. And, and now that we've fast forwarded up and we're to 2021, you could say he's probably linebacker one or two over the last 20 years. He, he was an exceptionally gifted uh, talent at, at that middle linebacker spot. And, and we talk about needing to fill holes and Clint, this is where we'll, we'll come in with you now, as far as recruiting goes. Um, Snyder does elect as we we alluded to does elect to stay on staff stays intact as it always does Snyder has never fired any <laughs> assistant coach so you do have some continuity there on the assistant coaching front so to that point we look ahead to the class of 2013 and there's some there's quite a few misses particularly on the offensive line but defensively uh, raking a couple of pretty good pieces long term for this team yeah, we start with Jordan Willis out of high school. Uh, he would go on to be, I would say, the second best defensive end in school history, arguably. Definitely after Darren Howard, but after that, he's definitely got a good case. Uh, didn't redshirt that year, played as a true freshman. Didn't play a lot, but got in there. Jesse Ertz coming in, rehabbing from a high school injury, would obviously go on to be a very good quarterback who was still plagued by injuries throughout his career. Matthew McCrane got one of those rare kicker scholarships. Uh, we got a couple of four stars that year. Tanner Wood would uh, go on to play in a lot of games. Probably didn't live up to the four-star billing, but was a solid player. Nick Ramirez, on the other hand, was a four-star coming in. And if you don't Thud. remember him, 
there's probably good reason because he didn't last more than one year, his redshirt year. Uh, Reed Navarre, Dayton Valentine, Cray Moore all played some coming in as high schoolers. Then when we get to the JUCO ranks, we obviously had Jake Waters that year. Travis Green and Devin Nash joined them as the trio from Iowa Western. We had DeCorey Johnson, uh, DeAndre Roberts, Valentino Coleman, Nate Jackson would all play some. Uh, kind of an average class that was actually saved by the walk-ons, which would become kind of a standard thing for the next several classes. Uh, really good walk-on class. Will Gary, uh, Cody Cook, one of my all-time favorites, Trent Tanking, Nick Walsh, Sean Newland, Brogan Berry. Uh, solid group right there. Very much so. And uh, yeah, I, I, I looked through the list of commitments and I had it do- had it listed as 12 hits. I was being a, a little generous with some of those. And and one of those guys was to Corey Johnson. And, and this is where we start talking about how things were kind of political in terms of personnel when we, we really started to see the maybe the superior athlete not really getting the opportunity to play um or not necessarily play, but get a, a significant amount of snaps. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit deep in, in more detail as we move through the show here. But uh, the class ends up ranking 64th overall per 24 seven, a slight bump from the year before they were 73rd in 2012. Um, it was last in the big 12 uh, in, in 2013 as well. Uh, rivals had it pegged 65th overall. They were 59th the year before. So again, pretty much where K-State falls most, most seasons in 2-0, not Nothing really to write home about, but some some nice pieces in here and defensively, definitely some good uh, components that we see start to get some pretty significant snaps a uh, couple of years from now. Now, we'll look ahead as we dive into the Big 12 offseason. This is the first time since 2010 that there has been no shuffling of conference mates. So we have the what has been the modern Big 12 now since 2012. Uh, so TCU, West Virginia, fully entrenched as members, still getting uh, partial shares of revenue at this point, which I'm not too broken up about. You guys got to pay your dues and earn your keep here. Um, and really coaching wise, no shuffling in the Big 12, with the exception of uh, Tommy Tuberville bouncing out of Texas Tech and <laughs> the the great Cliff Kingsbury coming in uh, to replace him. But aside from that, still a lot of a. Uh, old names that people will be very familiar with. Gary Patterson, obviously at TCU. Mac Brown is still coaching at Texas at this point. Bob Stoops still at Oklahoma. So you have between uh, those two and Bill Snyder, really the deans of the Big 12 uh, for better than 10, 15 years now. Um, now, we've talked about what uh, the Big 12 offseason looked like. And now the K-State offseason, there was a, a very, very pronounced battle and very public battle at the quarterback position and I think uh, before we even talk about anybody else personnel wise I want to know Clint will lead with you were you team Waters or team Sams I was team Waters I was very intrigued by Daniel Sams I thought he was a young L Roberson but uh, maybe not showing the quite the uh, passing ability and when I say that, I'm fully aware that young L. Roberson was a bad, bad passer. But he, there was just something there. Like, you, one out of every five passes, you know, looks spectacular. 
And I didn't quite see that with Sam's, um, but very hopeful that down the line he'd get there. But in 2013, I was Team Waters. I was also on Team Waters. Uh, oh. I really Sam's when he came in to back up Klein um, in 2012. You know, he had some some nice runs against Miami that year and some other teams. But I just felt like the web, you know, we had Tyler Lockett, some a uh, few other decent receivers. I felt like in order for the team to be what it could be, uh, to be the best version, they needed someone that could run and throw the ball. The question was, can Sam's run or can Sam's throw and can Waters run? And uh, I think that's kind of the the question that was going to be answered this year. Um, but for me, I think the way college football was going, you got to have a guy that can throw the ball around. So I was pretty excited about Waters coming in. Uh, you know, if we didn't recruit Waters, if he did not come here, I would have been pretty excited about Sam's taking over because uh, he had some experience and he was a super athlete. But uh, once we got Waters coming in, I got pretty excited about him. <clears throat> he was what offensive player of the year in uh, junior college, won the national championship. Pretty good football player. And I will certainly not disparage Jake Waters here. I was in the Sam's camp uh, really from day one. I, I loved the, the glimpses that we had seen of him, the, the twitch that he had. He really possessed uh, a gear and an, an, an ability to shift that we really hadn't seen from anybody uh, at that point. If you think about all the guys who were, had been running the ball for K-State, uh, obviously he had the big lumbering Colin Klein, and you go back a couple of years, you had Daniel Thomas, who was just going to, you know, off tackle left, off tackle right, and just smash you. There, there was no, Sam's possessed a couple of different elements, had a different wiggle to him where I felt like this guy can can really stress defenses with his ability to get outside, his ability to to make guys miss in the open field. That's That was the thing that I was most excited about with, with Sam's going into the season. And the other thing too, as far as the battle itself, uh, and again, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but uh, if for those who might be a little bit younger, the, this was so reminiscent to me of what K-State did after Jonathan Beasley um, exhausted his eligibility after the 2000 season. K-State goes out, they land at that time a five-star quarterback in Mark Dunn and bring him in to compete with L. Roberson. And L. Roberson was one of the the biggest high school recruits of the Bill Snyder 1-0 era. And we bring in a, a junior college Again, not to make this racial, but a white junior college quarterback who is known more so for his passing acumen than his ability to run the football. It seemed all too similar to that. And and again, we kind of watch it unfold in a very similar way to where uh, in 2000, in that season, that 2001 season, Snyder and company never re- had a feeling that they want they wanted L. They wanted L to win the job, but L never really developed to your point Clint in the passing game and never really took true control of the position and that's why that battle kind of oscillated between those two throughout 2001 we see pretty much the exact same thing happen here uh, with a little bit different result obviously at the end of the 2013 season in terms of where the team is looking to be heading uh, for the 2014 campaign but 
regardless of the of who what camp you were in that that quarterback was going to have a terrific offensive line in front of him uh Finney Keenan Taylor Cody Whitehair Tavon Rooks uh everybody's back John Hubert back running back for his senior season uh, uh backed up by Robert Rose uh Tyler Lockett in the receiving core, Tremaine, Curry Sexton, Terrell Miller, uh, fullback. We have uh, the emergence of little Gronk, Glenn Gronkowski. Now um, on flipping the coin here and moving to the defensive side, a lot of new faces here. Uh, and we talk about the D-line, Alana Finau, Travis Britt, Shaq Reed, and Ryan Mueller, obviously the big surprise of the 2013 campaign. Uh, linebacker, we Alex, you touched on it, Blake Slaughter after redshirting in 2012, uh, and a great thank you for calling on that. I totally spaced on that, so thank you for uh, for showing up and flexing the memory there. Blake Slaughter coming in at linebacker with uh, Jonathan Truman and Trey Walker, and then in the secondary, ties in anchoring the group once again, Randall Evans, future NFL draft pick Randall Evans, and then Dante Barnett, who we we touched on in the 2012 season kind of thrown into the fire against one of the most prolific offenses in the entire conference in Baylor uh, but he comes in and, and Dante Barnett ends up having a, a very very respectable career at the safety position one of the better ones dare I say of the 2-0 era so this this defense ends up filling out and and filling those holes quite nicely as we get ready to dive into 2013 now uh, K-State will open up the season with North Dakota State. And if you remember kind of the build up to this, this was the opening of the West Stadium Center. Um, it was, and I don't know if you guys went, did either of you go to the Iowa game at Arrowhead in 2000? Nope. Okay. I went to that game and everybody maintains that was the hottest game in, in, in program history. Man, this game, I just honest to God felt like the air, you could cut it with a knife. It was not moving. It was just freaking miserable for all four quarters and this was a this was a brutal one to watch just because of the way that it shook out so k-state tied with north dakota state at half seven up and then it looks like in the second half particularly in the third quarter they're gonna take control in this game uh we get uh, a double move uh, jake waters ends up starting uh, this game and he hits Tyler Lockett on a double move. Cats go up 14 to seven next possession, get a pick. And then Daniel Sams ends up running it in to make it 21 to seven. And I think at this point we're all in the, all right, th this was stressful here for a hot minute, no pun intended here, but this team's going to hold off And North Dakota state is again, the FCS machine that they have been for the last decade. Now, I thought that this one was pretty well in the bag at that point. Two score lead over an, a one double A team. I, I didn't think there was any chance that they were going to come back on our home field. Did you guys feel that way? I thought, like you said, this one was in the bag. I mean, I just, I mean, we're K State, they're North Dakota State. This is just how it happens. Sometimes they get a lead, but K State's going to come back. Uh, that's just the way it was going to be. Uh, very, very heartbreaking. Um, I do feel like I'm going to be having to defend Waters a lot through the first half of this season. So I will say that the uh, first interception was third and 25. Uh, I don't recall how we got into that situation. It might have been on Waters. Uh, but anytime you're at third and 25, you're pretty much just throwing it up there. And then obviously he had that second interception late in the game where he was just trying to get us back into it but didn't have much of a chance. 
Yeah, I thought it was <clears throat> one of those games where you just kind of let a team hang around and then you, you just start just putting it on them and night-night, game's over. But uh, I think they had, what, they scored 10. Um, one of those drives, I'm like, okay, this is getting a little too close. And then we're up 21-17, I believe. And then they get the ball, and it was just one of the weirdest things because you never thought, like, well, this is going to be pretty much the last possession of the game. <laughs> like, what, like an almost a nine-minute drive or something like that, like an eight-and-a-half-minute drive? And it was just, you know, every, you know, first, second, third down, short, third and short, first down, you know. And we just could not stop them. And then it's like they get about, what, to the 30-yard line, and then you start looking at the clock, you're like, holy shit, like, we're running out of time. Like, it just came out of nowhere. It was one of those games where it's just, by the time you felt like this was a close game, the game was almost over, and you're like, if they score, we're going to lose. So it was it was a bizarre game, and it's a game that, you know, really should not have happened the way it did. But It was, it was so tough. That that you know, as a fan, the worst moments, at least in my fanhood, I always think back to are the moments where you feel helpless, where you you just know that the other team is gonna do whatever they want whenever they want. And, and the, uh, the weird the weirdest thing was I actually uh, strangely enough, so Brock Jensen's the quarterback for North Dakota State. I ran into his dad in the. Uh, parking lot at city park um before the game and we're just shooting the shit casually talking about it and and he's again very very humble man and everything and they they felt like that but you could tell he, he knew that they had a pretty good squad in place and they they felt like that they were going to be able to contend in this game and and me being conceded big time you know defending big 12 champion fan like okay yeah you know we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that in the fourth quarter but yeah that was you will be very hard pressed in k-state history and dare i say from now until the day i die to find another drive that just crushed the soul of a team the way that this one did uh yeah, Brock Jensen scores on a one-yard keeper. Uh, that that the other thing that sucked about that drive. If you go back and watch, uh, this is again a big gripe that a lot of fans had with with Tom Hayes was not a lot of pressure being applied there. Not really wanting to come out of base, just very content to sit back, let them nickel and dime you down the field. But I was, we, I think I was at that point, I was just kind of in that mode. I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, we're, we're, we're certainly, we're going to get exotic here. We're going to bring some kind of a blitz package. We're going to bring somebody from, you know, a corner from the weak side or whatever. We're going to do something here to try and get these guys off schedule. And it just never really happened. And they also, they did convert a few third downs on that drive. But again, just a, a tough pill to swallow here as K-State opens up the season with a 24 to 21 setback at the hands of North Dakota State. And the other thing that there's so many superlatives about this game, first home loss in an opener going back to Snyder's very first season as head coach, 1989. So I I didn't go ahead. ahead. One of the questions that always sticks in my head about this game and maybe some other games that we, you know, non-conference type inferior opponents that I feel like we shouldn't have lost is, you know, we scored all three of our touchdowns fairly. It's like 
you know, we're going out there to try to make a point or, you know, whatever, but it's like, well, we need some touchdowns. Boom, boom, we score. No big deal. And then you just got you, that question in the back of your head of like, are we doing the typical Snyder? Like, we don't want to put too much on tape and we don't want to, because when I was a kid, we would, you know, we'd blow out everybody in the non-conference. But then as, you know, Snyder 2.0 goes, then the narrative becomes, well, we don't want to put too much on tape. So we're playing kind of a vanilla um, game plan. So that thought kind of creeps in your head. Like if we went out there knowing that this team was going to be as good as they were and we altered the game plan to kind of, you know, maybe get in the, the playbook a little bit deeper, do we win that game? You know, that's. And I don't know how much of that is just kind of myth about, you know, Snyder not wanting to put anything on tape too early in a season and all that other stuff. But that that kind of sticks in your head. We scored so easily when we wanted to. And then it just seems like we were just using the rest of the game as extra practice, you know, and then it bit us in the ass. Yeah, getting conservative was definitely a huge part of what we were all griping about with Snyder in the second half of 2.0 whether that was late in the game or at halftime or the entire game. Yeah, and that's that's a talking point that comes up, as you said, throughout the 2-0 era. And really, this is kind of the game that really spearheads that, too, because uh, to your point, Alex, like you said, we, you know, we, we didn't really seem like we we leaned on on Tyler as much in the passing game. And I think that's kind of what everybody expected this team to do. Like, okay, this is Tyler coming into his junior season. Um, he's going to get a lot of balls thrown his way. And he, I mean, it's not like he didn't produce. He had seven catches, 113 yards and a touchdown. I mean, it's not like he didn't have a great game, but when we see what the offense becomes in 2014, which is literally just, he's going to get the ball thrown at him 15, 16 times a game. Why are we later in this season? He has game, you know, that Texas game, get a monster game in 2013 so it's you know we knew it was capable we were capable of it this year granted it's the first game with the new quarterback and uh you know that kind of leads to some question marks maybe just things did not go you know if 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 north dakota state is our second or third game of the year is it a easy you know easy win maybe maybe not <clears throat> The the other thing I'll say as we kind of book in this this one particular game, I uh, I've always made a point to go to the uh, the preseason the KC uh, Catbackers, and if if you are in the Kansas City area, I would certainly encourage you to do this. It's always a good time, and you get to hear Stan Weber talk uh, football, in which he 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 will talk your ear off about anything and everything, and I very distinctly remember him talking about this game and, and talking about it. And, and, and framing it in a way as well, you know, don't be don't be too distressed if if you lose this game. And Stan is such the eternal optimist and, and sunshine pumper that I was just that kind of put it on my radar. Like, yeah, we 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 might end up dropping this one. That just kind of made me brace for that mentally. And and unfortunately, like, and it wasn't as if. God, this one, I hate just looking at this box score. This sucks. I hate this game so much. It wasn't as if this one 
got got away from K State in any way. It, it was really just the the Wildcats and the the point that a lot of people said North Dakota State and Craig Bull they just purely beat Snyder at his own game. And if you look at it too, time of possession, 36 minutes for North Dakota State. Uh, they only have a couple more first downs in the aggregate uh, when compared to K-State, but they just really, they sucked the air out of the ball on that uh, final drive. And that was really all that they needed. It was just, they they did what kind of the recipe for any underdog always is. You hang around, hang around, and then you get right. And then when you have the opportunity, you strike. And that's just what they did. And um, as far as the water, I, I was certainly not discouraged by what I saw from Jake Waters in this game. Again, Clint, you said that the one pick coming at the very end of the game, you got to do something. I'm not going to shit on the kid for for trying to make a play when you need to move the ball and you're going to try and get in field goal range. And uh, I think that was also a good learning opportunity for that team to getting the ball late with an opportunity to go for a tying field goal and or a go ahead touchdown. We see that later in the season. But I, I was not at all discouraged by what I saw from Waters. I felt like, okay, well, if he beat out Sam's and, you know, he comes out here, throws for just shy on, under 300 yards, has a couple of touchdowns, a couple picks, you know, I, I think we'll be good to roll ahead with this guy. And we move next to the Louisiana game. And, and this is where K-State comes out and flexes, gets right. They get up 28 to, to three pretty early in this one. And, the second team defense lets up and lets Louisiana have a couple of late touchdowns. But this was this was the, one of those games where, where Sams is able to come in. He makes a couple of plays, both throwing the ball, running the ball. Jake Waters has some nice p- passes. And I think this is this wasn't really a game where I felt like the the chatter got any softer about Jake being entrenched as QB1, Sams as QB2. I just really felt like, OK, well, the people are in. Team Sams are still going to be Team Sams, and the people who are pro Waters are still pro Waters here. Both guys showed some nice flashes against a pretty quality G5 team, but that that's really all that that game ended up amounting to in my mind. And, and K State gets right with a 48 to 27 win. Uh, did you guys? I'll always ask uh, anything that you remembered about this one, other than just the team getting back on the right track. Uh, just a nice uh, Tremaine Thompson special teams game. Had a kickoff return for a touchdown and brought another one back to the two-yard line, which I think was negated by a penalty. But I'll say nice things about Tremaine Thompson any chance I get. Like his game. We avenged the 9 debacle. In a big way. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, in a in a very big way. Yeah, K-State got out 34-3 to uh, midway through the third quarter in this one. No, no sweat. Defense... Like I said, gives up a couple late TDs to make this one look a little bit closer. But uh, all in all, they outgain Louisiana 454 to 370. Um, cough up the ball a couple of times, but still, it was just good to see the, the guys get right because I think we're all still kind of concerned with, you know, the, that game, that North Dakota State game just build up as oh, defending Big 12 champions. How You're just spitting the bit against a 1AA team. How are they going to respond? Well, they they answered that pretty emphatically in, in week two. So we moved next to week three, K-State. Uh, no, n- nothing to write home about. They take care of UMass, 37-7. to seven. Kip Daly gets a pick six on the first uh, defensive possession uh, of the game. Uh, U- UMass at this point is, and I cannot recall if they've just moved up to 1A 
from one double a but they are just now like getting into like normal scholarship territory so no surprise that k-state does what they should uh what they are expected to do they outgain umass 456 to 309 uh don't really even throw the ball much in this game. Uh, Waters only has 10 attempts. Sam, Sam's only has two. Uh, so not a whole lot to take away. So we're still kind of muddling through this QB battle where, you know, Sam's and Sam's has shown some flashes. Waters has shown some flashes. It's pretty clear that Waters seems to have the edge as he's the one who's getting the starting nod. But um, I didn't know. I, I take it at this point for you guys, nothing's really changed in terms in terms of what you've seen through the first three games and where you feel like the offense is heading and if they're gonna if coordinators are gonna make a decision about who's gonna be QB one as we move into conference play. Yeah, this is a kind of a weird game as far as um, passing. Jake Waters only has 110 passing yards, and of that, John Hubert had a 43 yard reception and Gronkowski had a 50 yard reception. So we're not really throwing it to any of the receivers in this game. I'm not sure if they're kind of trying to transition to more of a running attack or uh, if that just passing game didn't open up that game. It's tough to say. It's tough to say. And and thank you for pointing out Glenn Gronkowski, because this is this would be kind of a staple of this. The, the Jake Waters passing attack that we would come to know those little RPO. Definitely don't have linemen 12 yards down the field uh, <laughs> passes because uh, this was this. I believe this is the first of uh, many of the Glenn Gronkowski touchdowns running that play. So cats are back to two and one after the 37 to seven win. we get ready to start conference play now. And and oh, my God, once again on the road, taking on Texas to open up Big 12 play. Everybody's up in arms now. Um, Texas is kind of kind of gagged the at the start of the year they they go and lose a they get just the doors blown off in, in Provo the Mormons smack them around 40 to 21 Taysom Hill is probably still running on that defense um he, he carved him up for 259 yards averaged over 15 a carry and and then Texas lose the following week to Ole Miss so UT's in a pretty rough spot as they be, get set to begin conference play now after seeing BYU run for close to 600 yards on this Texas defense, um, and Mac Brown ultimately he ends up axing Manny Diaz as the D coordinator, I was actually pretty optimistic that K State was going to find a way to get this win to start off conference play, and and this was a game too where I felt like we would see that uh, Sam's chatter get a little bit louder because I I kind of expected him to get more snaps at QB. Were you guys in that same camp, or did you expect it to be more of what we had seen? Uh, I don't really remember what I expected, but I, as far as who was going to be uh, getting the reins at quarterback in this game, but I definitely expected to beat the crap out of Texas. They were awful on defense at this point, and uh, when uh, Tyler Lockett is just going off in this game, and then we're still trying to run the ball with Jake Waters up the middle for 18 times for 44 yards. I do not get that offensive concept. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I remember thinking we should win this game. You know, Texas has already lost two games. 
And, you know, we beat Texas uh, quite a few times in a row by now. And this game, I think we went down pretty early. I don't know. It was a game that I feel like we kind of gave away most of the time. We couldn't stop their running backs. They were just bulldozing us the whole game. Uh, We had three turnovers. I believe they were all fumbles. So just, uh, you know, even when we were doing stuff right, we were just, I don't know, nothing seemed to be going right in this game. It was just a weird one. You know, why why weren't we either throwing it more to lock it or putting Sam's in to run? I don't know, but it was an entertaining game, that's for sure. I watched a full eight-minute highlight because I'm sure this game was on the Longhorn Network, and there was, you know, there was quite a few memories brought up on that one. There was that target, I think, I don't know if this was the first year or maybe the first or second year that the targeting rule was implemented. And I remember this is one of the first instances where <clears throat> Jake Waters got lit up on a play that wasn't even <laughs> even count. Either there's a false start or someone called a timeout, but no one no one heard the whistle blow. A linebacker came in and just put his helmet right in his face. And I remember the announcers like, well, should that not be a targeting? Because the play wasn't actually going. So it's not a live play. Can they still call targeting? I'm like, of course they can. <laughs> then there was another. Want to. Yeah, I was like, then there was a, just in the highlight I watched, there was a fourth down play that was pretty big early in the second half. Um, and they did a fake punt. And on the highlight, you can see like six of their guys were leaning forward, trying not to move. And then they got this first down and on a fake punt and they ended up scoring a touchdown. I'm like, how do you not call false start on that? <laughs> like, I don't remember if I, I noticed that watching that game back in 2013. If I did, I would have been pissed. But just this many years later, seeing it on the highlight, I'm like, that's a false start. So I don't know. Very frustrating, but very entertaining game. And a game that led to probably more questions than it answered. I think this is the game where we really started to miss Braden Wilson and Travis Tannehill's run blocking ability. So we had the exact same very experienced offensive line full of NFL players, but we averaged three yards a carry uh, on a pretty poor run defense. Well, a lot of, you know, that uh, a lot of those runs going to the outside were not working. And, uh, you know, the one of the fumbles was on a hurried pitch on an option that, you know, hit hit John Hubert, but he fumbled it and you know, lacking the tight end and the fullback experience for blocking that, you know, that really hurts on those outside runs that we like to go for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say that Daniel Sams accounted for almost half of the rushing yards. <laughs> my my wife apparently has thoughts about this too. Um, <laughs> so Daniel Sams only ends up with eight carries, but he has 48 of K-State's 115 rushing yards. Uh, you, you hit it, Alex. The, just so many little things that went wrong in this game. There are five total fumbles in this game, and Texas gets on all of them. K-State loses three. Texas fumbled twice, but they happen to jump back on both of them. Uh, and the other thing that I, I remember, my my dad went down to Austin with a couple of um, friends from our tailgating group, and, and 
the the sentiment of every Longhorn fan that he talked to, and he I remember him mentioning, you know, half a dozen or so people at this point. K State's won five in a row against Texas, and not a, a to a man, no one felt that UT was going to win this game. None of their own fans felt like Texas had a chance to win this game. That that was probably when when my dad mentioned that to me, I was like, God, that just kind of kicking the nuts even more here on this one because this is a game that K State really. They let Texas get up 17 to nothing, uh, you know, late in the second quarter before K-State even gets on the board with a John Hubert touchdown run. Uh, Alex, you mentioned that Jake Waters trying to run the option early in his career. Not very comfortable doing it. <laughs> Just I, I, I remember the very hurried pitch that results in a lost fumble there. Um and, and the other thing that I do recall too, like like I said, my 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 thought as uh, a a uh, armchair offensive coordinator, uh, I'm billable by hour if if anybody's in need. Um, this this seemed pretty obvious in terms of your approach, and, and maybe you do give Sam's a, an enlarged role in this game plan because I felt like he ha- he and Hubert would be able to exploit this Texas defense, create some holes. Uh, with that, and that offensive line would be able to open up some holes and some running lanes for those guys. But Clint, you talked about it. We we see a completely opposite approach where Demo and company say we're gonna start chucking it across the yard. Mother of God! <laughs> I'll fi- I'll fix that in post. Um, we what are you see- getting over there? I didn't hear anything. Uh, I I got into I tweeted at Kellis about uh. Kellis put out a great piece uh, just the uh, the other day about the 2012 team. So uh, this is all very, very timely stuff. Everybody's revisiting it here. Uh, I'll, I'll believe that Kellis stole this uh, story idea from us as well. Uh, but anyway, we see a completely different approach from the offense where Demo and company say, we just want to throw the ball. We're going to live and die with waters to lock it, waters to lock it. And they they exploited that connection quite a bit. Waters ends up as another fine game, throws for 275, doesn't throw a pick. Um, the, the killer in this game and Tyler goes for, has 13 catches for 237. Alex, just what you said earlier about not wanting to show something. If you do this against North Dakota state, if you maybe throw maybe even three or four more passes his way, you probably find a way to win that game. Uh, mm-hmm. but we wait a little bit too late to do that. And then this game, that, that locket to waters connection or waters to locket connection, uh, produces a lot of yards, gets K-State close on, on one drive that they really needed to have late, uh, but results in uh, a butt fumble. Jake Waters coughing up the football. Texas gets on it with K-State going in for a, potentially a touchdown to draw within to a score. That does it. That pretty much seals this one as Texas end up ends up winning this game 31 to 21. But lots of of missed opportunities in this game for K-State, and we look next to uh, week number five, a trip to. Stillwater at that point in time to take on 21st ranked Oklahoma State. So we, we've talked about it. Waters is, has been getting the nod in all these games. And, and you know, at this point, too, the, the defense is largely held up there into the bargain. Offense hasn't been super sharp. There's been some some giveaways and they, they really haven't decided what direction they want to go. And this just kind of fuels that uncertainty where we see Daniel Sams come out and get a lion's share of the snaps against Oklahoma State. And this was this is yet another game where 
so many mental miscues cost K-State in this game. Again, an entertaining contest, but one where K-State really comes away feeling like they let it get away. Uh, Real quick, Jeff, um, just to your point, uh, just to the Texas game, I I do agree with you that the game plan maybe didn't make sense against Texas, who was poor against the run, but maybe they they might have just abandoned that because they were down 17-0 pretty quick on that one. So who who knows what happens if if it's closer through the first quarter. Um, Anyways, on to Oklahoma State. Yeah, five turnovers in this game. Um, I don't remember a lot about this game other than the turnovers. I remember <clears throat> Sam's going down, fumbling, but they did not call it a fumble. And I remember the review where there was almost zero evidence to overturn no. it to fumble, and yet they called it a fumble. And even if they called it a fumble, there was no evidence to, to say who recovered the ball and yet they awarded the ball to Oklahoma State. That was complete bullshit, and that was type of shit that happens in Stillwater, it seems. I don't I don't know why Oklahoma State, of all people, get such, you know, the, was it Oklahoma State with the, the weird first down marker a few years ago where they got a first down when they were like five yards short or whatever? I can't remember what it was, but. <laughs> Anyways, this was just more going through the season, just really not having any answers to what we're throwing at the wall, throwing stuff, seeing if it sticks. And there's probably more bad that's coming with all the good. And they're not quite figuring things out just yet. Man, it's going to feel like I'm shitting on Sam's pretty much all podcast, but I mean, I like Daniel Sam's. I wish he would have stuck around the, his ability at running the ball was really special. But God, he threw such an ugly ball. <laughs> I mean, he 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 got his yards, but he I mean, three interceptions along the way. He had that uh I mean another long gronk play where it's is this is this the quarterback doing anything special or is this just a play that's unable to be defended against because it looks so much like a run? Then he had that other uh touchdown that was another wide open receiver. I think it was Terrell Miller. Um yeah, I mean, th- this is a game where Sam's got his chance, and Ty Lockett ended up with two catches for six yards. And you got your best player uh, pretty much taken out of the game because the game plan is going to be completely focused around a quarterback who can't really pass the ball down the field. I just don't think that's a way that you're going to win many games. This this was tough, uh, and Alex, th- that fumble which uh, again uh, every sams fan and uh, any k-state fan out there should absolutely say was is and was and is bullshit to this day that was after oklahoma state had very clearly coughed one up k-state got on it so cats are up 21 to 17 with ball midway through the third quarter with the chance to stretch this out and make this a worst case scenario get a field goal uh, field goal attempt out of it uh, but I think that was where the game really kind of, I don't know if it, it didn't necessarily turn, but you, you felt like K-State, K-State needed to, to get points out of that possession and to, to stretch this lead to full touchdown or to push it out to 11. And they didn't end up doing that. But um, the the way that the offense in the second half, it's, it's not great. So we see first possession of second half, uh, fumble, second possession, pick 
third possession, fumble, fourth possession, punt, rushing touchdown to get K-State up 29 to 23. Terrell Miller hauls in the two-point conversion. And then we have a pick and a pick on the final two possessions. So that that really tells you all you need to know. that Tyler Lockett goes out with an injury in this game. Tremaine Thompson is on the shelf in this game. So your your options at receiver are, are very limited. Where Again, this is why Terrell Miller and Glenn Gronkowski are the ones that we're talking about getting passes thrown their way. So this was a very valiant effort against a, a, a team that would end up having another 10-win season. This was one of Gundy's better squads. Baby hand off. There we go. <laughs> um, but again, a game where you just come back with a, a very sour taste in your mouth. K-State defensively uh, does, uh, in my mind, a really good job. They, they put the clamps down on Oklahoma State. They limit them to only 3.4 yards per carry. They have only 85 yards rushing. Um, this is an Oklahoma State team. They've lost some weapons over the last couple of years. We, we see them quarterbacked by J.W. Walsh, Walsh, excuse me. But this isn't a particularly gifted squad, but K-State's defense, again, come, you come away feeling pretty impressed and encouraged by what they did. You know, this, this is with, you know, the offense giving them the ball, with giving them five extra possessions. So to hold Oklahoma State to 33 was pretty encouraging. But again, this is just another game where you, you can't help but feel like you let this one get away from you. And now uh, I'm going to kind of rewind here. And, and again, I'm going to date myself quite a bit because I start thinking back to how the 20, uh, excuse me, the 2003 season ends in the 2004 season un- begins to unravel where it, it kind of follows that not identical script, but we see K-State drop a non-con game in 04. And then we see him spit the bit in a couple of non uh, the big 12 games to start the season. I, I didn't think necessarily that this team was going to miss out on a bowl game, but that doubt kind of starts creeping into your head after this. It, were, were you guys in that camp as well, or were you feeling a little bit more confident about this group's ability? I think my concern wasn't necessarily, you know, can this team be good enough to to start winning games? It was because a lot of the, you know, the Texas game and that Oklahoma State game was just us shooting ourselves in the foot. So I think I was probably concerned and upset how the season was going to that point. Uh, But at the same time, it felt like if we just played more disciplined football, like we usually do under Bill Snyder, that things would probably, you know, start to come around a little bit. It did seem like we were right there. Um, and I, I, I maybe thought that the first half of the season was a little top heavy. As I'm looking through the schedule, I might've just convinced myself that it did turn out that way. Um, but you know, I'm the optimist. I can convince myself that, you know, things are going to turn around and go K-State's way. And they did. <laughs> And to your point there, Clint, no rest for the uh, for the weary as they it, the cats come home after an 0-2 start in Big 12 play uh, with a couple of L's on the road. And now they get to square off against uh, what would ultimately end up being Big 12 champion Baylor uh, in Manhattan. So cats coming back home, hoping to get right against 
a Baylor squad that was 4-0 at the time, 15th in the country. We don't we know Baylor is good that they've they've been very potent on offense. They they've been putting up 50 and 60 points on everybody that they've squared off against. Uh, Bryce Petty has stepped in to quarterback. Uh, we've got some big weapons. Uh, and Tevin Reese in the receiving game, Glasgow Martin Lake Seastrunk, Antoine Goodley still there. Like they've got a lot of guys that are still there as far as your specialists go. But K-State is very much up to the task in this one uh, yet again. And this is a game where I just remember <laughs> um, it, it was it was kind of funny, but it was also kind of distressing where you did not know who was going to come out and play quarterback series to series. It, it honestly seemed like we would roll waters out. He would, he would play a couple snaps and then we'd run a package out there for Dan, uh, for Sam's. And then we'd flip back. I mean, just a ton of inconsistency, but K state puts forth probably their best showing to this point. They, they're much more uh, buttoned up. They take care do a better job of taking care of the ball really throughout the first you know, 58 minutes of this game and then a, a very costly interception uh, in the waning minutes cost this one and and let Baylor stretch their their fourth quarter lead a little bit. But I I felt like th- as this game begins to unfold and, and Baylor is just taking the top off and hitting bomb after bomb, I never really felt like we were going to get out of it. But in the same breath, I never really felt like we were going to have a chance to, to win this in the fourth quarter. Uh, where were you guys feeling on this one as it's as it unfolded? Man, I really felt like this was the revenge game. It was going to come down to the wire, um, but really felt like we were going to pull it out. Um, man, that Ryan Mueller strip sack, I thought there's no way we're losing after that thing. That was a that was one of the prettiest and luckiest plays I've ever seen. Lucky just because the ball bounced right into his hands after he was able to dive and strip it out of the just how you quarterback's it. hands. Yeah, and he's what three yards from out of bounds, so mm-hmm. he's pretty lucky he didn't go out of bounds. Yeah, as good as Sam's was running the ball that game, 199 rushing yards. That was incredible. But that interception he threw was the laziest pass I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he he could have just easily thrown it away, but he throws this little light little touch pass. Uh, to the sideline, and the you know the DB is able just to kind of step right in front of the receiver and pick it off. That was <laughs> I, I was very conflicted at that point. So, so Sam's has a day running the ball, and, and this I think kind of circles back to when we look at how K State played Baylor the year prior, where Baylor really got out early on the Wildcats in 2012, got up 28 to seven and K-State was in a position where no one feels comfortable in, on the, in that offensive room as far as a coach goes where, all right, we're down 28 to seven. We got to start chucking it with Colin with a, you know, a, a, a hobbled Colin and, and, and that's not our game at all. Uh, that's, we, we saw them get t- get the running game taken away from them so quickly in that game, but K-State was very much about imposing their will today, and they did just that. Daniel Sams, I remember him, he went out in this game for a brief minute, and I remember just walking with a dead shoulder, like, it just like oh man, this we're going to have to go and give this guy a shot here pretty quick, get him back in as soon as we can, because that was really what K-State was relying on in this contest. Waters, Waters kind of struggled throwing the football in this game. This was really about Daniel and his ability to run. Uh, 30 carries for 199 yards, but 
Clint, to your point, that that all kind of is for it's it's all for naught after that pick uh, with 3:48 left on on what was a second and two. That was the thing that killed me. K State has just been crushing Baylor in the run game. They've run for over 300 yards. They've done whatever they've wanted, and there's still four minutes left in the game with with timeouts in your pocket. That was when I I started to get kind of. That was probably a moment in my fandom where I started to get really critical of the staff. Like to that point, I was like, okay, the Texas game, Alex, like you said, that you get down 17 nothing. We we don't really have the luxury now of trying to like grind away and get back into this game. We have to start throwing it. This was a game where K State never really Baylor never stretched any kind of a lead in this game. Uh, it was. It was never more than a, 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 a two-possession game. It, the biggest deficit K-State faced that day was 21 to 10. So K-State was never take, truly taken out of what they wanted to do offensively, and that that was to me the more infuriating thing as to why in the hell are are we trying on? I know it's second and two, and that's maybe a, an instance where, as a coordinator, you probably say, okay, we can. We have, we have a down to play with here. We can get, you know, we're going to have two plays to get after this. Even if we throw an incompletion, we're going to have two plays to get two yards. We, we can do this with the way that we've been running. But I, 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 I'm i like you, Clint. I went back and I looked at that play. I'm like, God, man, just throw it in the fifth row. Just wing that thing. Just get, you know, just get it OB. And he just let that thing hung up in the air, which seemed like forever and a day. I, fuck. Uh, yeah, I, I, this this is yet another game where K State has a lead in the fourth quarter. Briefly in the fourth quarter, it's twenty five to twenty one, and then Baylor takes the top off. And this is kind of what they've done all day. They hit they hit better than sixty uh, percent of their yards really come on these three big chunk plays: a ninety three yard touchdown pass to te- uh, to Tevin Reese, seventy two yard pass to Antoine Goodley, and then a fifty four another fifty four yard pass to Tevin Reese. So K State's defense. While Baylor gets them with a couple of big chunk plays, that they they're again they're, they're up to the task and they hold Baylor to to 35 points. They get a late garbage touchdown after that Sam's pick, where I think the unit's probably pretty gassed at that point. They've been on for a lot of snaps. I I I didn't know what to think after this one, other than well, this is just kind of this is really the same, you know, it's been the same, it's the same shit, different game. You know, there's just something that this team keeps finding a way to do to just kind of dick trip and find a way to lose. Uh, And that's where I was getting even more frustrated. Like, is this group ever going to be able to get out of its own way? Because I think at this point they've demonstrated that, you know, there's, there's competence on both sides of the ball and what they've done defensively and limiting Oklahoma state and limiting Baylor and what they've been able to do offensively in some of these games, albeit pretty inconsistent. I, I felt like, this team had shown that it was competent, but I just didn't feel like it was ever going to be able to get out of its own way. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> just as a fan, this might be one of the first stretches where, you know, growing up, all I knew was like K-State dominance and football with Bill Snyder. Things fizzled out in two point, or in 1.0, and then uh, early in 2.0, you know, we we had a lot of games that we probably sh- you know either shouldn't have lost or just we were just completely outmatched but you know it's kind of you're in rebuilding mode so you kind of forgive that but like the the, the Oklahoma State game the Baylor game uh a couple the Oklahoma or the the Baylor game and the TCU game the next year a lot of games in 15 
you start wondering like there there's some games like you would think with Bill Snyder as their coach like these are not the types of games you lose or not necessarily you don't lose them but you don't lose them the way that you did you know and I feel like this is part this is probably like one of the beginning portions of me thinking like this this isn't on brand for what like national media thinks of Bill Snyder teams like oh we don't beat ourselves like hell we don't like <laughs> it happens all the time <laughs> it happens more than people would think and two two observations from just strictly looking at box scores since we've been doing this podcast for for playing bend but don't break defense i mean we got a 93 yard pass a 72 yard pass a 54 yard pass like we're breaking quite a bit on this bend but don't break and that goes you know, not just for this specific game. And I also notice, and this, I feel like this is not, this has been a common theme as well. There, there seems to be a lot of box scores where we're going for two a lot and not getting it. And it's making some weird. <laughs> has anyone been noticing that? I'm just like, wait a second. I, I'll, I'll, 13, I'll say this much. 25, like, wait, those, that's not a natural progression of points. Anyways, two, when two things. I- popped out of me from this box score that I feel like have been recurring themes since we've been doing this podcast. I just very, <laughs> the two point, that's funny that you bring that up because I, I remember when we went to the Fiesta bowl and I remember Oregon, you know, they take the opening kickoff back that, that part sucked. But when they got the two after that, I was like, Oh fuck! We're gonna yeah. be chasing that the whole day, aren't we? Game over at that point. <laughs> and I don't know why. And that's again defeatist of me there. But that was just one of those things where I felt like Snyder was one of those coaches so by the book, and it just uh, well the card said you know Snyder's like one of those like okay the card's gonna say I don't go for two until we get to under six minutes, and if we're within this margin, if we score a touchdown here, this is when I go for two. Like. I just was in my mind. I just knew we were going to be chasing that the whole game. And we had a lot of, to your point, Alex, a lot of weird crooked numbers that we're putting up and like leaving points out on the field again with missed two point conversions, missed PATs. That's another thing too. Like we talk about Ben, but don't break. We talk about don't beat yourself. We talk about all this, all these national, you know, talking points. And again, that's, in my mind, that's more so broadcasters being lazy and trying to find a way to to dress up every. Well, we can't just say that they're a plain team who's flawed that's going to make mistakes and do shit that all these other teams do. We we can't say that about this, you know, legendary coach. I don't know why people feel like they can't do that because like this is, you know, scheming for this game is hard and you're going to have guys that make mistakes. Like that's just part of the deal. <laughs> oh man, I have a problem. Yeah, I'm with- sorry, Clint. Two, but oh go ahead i was gonna say like going for two you know obviously one of those times it was to tie the game at 21 and we didn't get it uh but then i just feel like if you're gonna be like i would actually love football coaches to be like i'm gonna go for two i'm gonna go for fourth downs all that stuff because yeah we're not gonna get them all the time but if we do it's gonna increase our chance of winning games but it just that didn't that wasn't bill snyder but just it just would randomly show up like we went for two with uh, it wasn't even in the fourth quarter yet. It was halfway through the third quarter to try to tie the game. And that just kind of puts you behind. And 
I don't know. I feel like there's been games I could be forgetting that, you know, go for two a couple times, don't get it. And then a, you know, tying field goal to get you an overtime turns, you know, could have been a game winning field goal. If you're going to go for two and be that kind of coach, then you got to commit to it. If not, you need to be a lot more strategic with it. And some of these just don't feel like they were, you know, in hindsight and just looking at it on the box score did not feel like they were maybe the right decision at the right time. Is well, this where Dana Dimmel was starting to get more control over the offense, or do you think it was all still Bill Snyder uh, pulling all those strings, making those decisions? I would imagine going for two would still be Bill's call. Yeah. And I think that's where it, it, this is the year where we start to feel a lot more. Amb- the ambiguity becomes a lot more noticeable when we're talking about who's making personnel decisions, who who's really the puppet master at this point. I, I remember it. I went to the the West, the West Stadium Center dedication before the North Dakota State game. And I remember Bill just he, he rolled out there and he was just very openly talking about Sean does this, Sean does that, Sean does that, like just not directly campaigning for his son, but pretty overt endorsement of all the things that Sean does, uh, not just from an operation standpoint, but from what would be perceived as a coaching standpoint. So we have people that are questioning, like, is, is, does Sean have his tentacles on a lot more things this year? How much control does Dana Dimmel have? Who's making all these personnel decisions? There's there's so much going on, and I think again, when you're when you're losing, that just kind of again augments everything. Unfortunately, now to to bring it back in, this this is the lowest point of the season. So K State's 0 and 3 uh, in Big 12 play, 2 and 4 overall. Uh, but Clint, you talked about it. This team does really pick up steam as we go down the home stretch here, and, and they get right the week after against West Virginia. Uh, this is a game where K-State really opens it up uh, uh, in, in the passing department, and, and Tyler Locke it has a, a nice touchdown catch uh, early in the first quarter. Uh, Daniel Sams throws a, a dart to him in the back of the end zone in, at the tail end of the third. Uh, this is a game that's that's still close as we go to the fourth quarter. K-State's only up 14 to 12. Uh, but the the defense creates a couple of turnovers. They start winning on field position. And Jake Waters has a great day throwing the ball. Daniel Sams, again, also has a great day throwing the ball. Those two combined to go 18 of 21 for just shy of 300 yards, four touchdowns, no picks between them. Uh, K-State wins this game 35 to 12. I think I speak for everybody here, a collective sigh that this group has has the tools. We've seen it. Now they've just finally started to put things in play. Um, any Anything that you guys recall from this game as we get ready to move uh, to the back half of the conference slate? I just knew that I loved playing Wichita State, or Wichita State, sorry, West Virginia. <laughs> uh, they were our new whipping boy. It seemed like we could uh, do whatever we wanted against them. I remember uh, Ty Zimmerman having a big hit, forced fumble. We haven't really talked about him much. Um, like you said earlier, this defense wasn't a bad defense. They um, they uh, kind of seem to be more the sum of the parts than the actual individual players, though. When you look down this roster, 
Um, outside of Zimmerman, maybe Randall Evans, and then Ryan Mueller, it's not a super talented defense, especially compared to 2012. Um, but by the end of the year, they were ranked fairly high. All I remember yes. from this game is being extremely concerned every time Clint Trickett took a hit. <laughs> <laughs> that dude was just yeah. out there. He, uh, yeah, he, rough career. Um, I, I remember Mizzou quarterback Kirk Farmer, who had a very similar fate where it just felt like that dude took hits all the time was per- just perpetually uh, in concussion protocol, but neither here nor there. Uh, you talk about Ty Zim, Clint. He has a he leads the team in tackles in this game, has 12 stops, uh, two pass deflections, and that big force fumble. So K-State defense uh, doing their job, putting the clamps down on a West Virginia offense. This, this is not a particularly uh, sharp unit, especially compared to the year prior when they had Geno Smith, Tavon Austin, uh, Austin Stedman, Bailey. Uh, th- this unit is offensively for West Virginia has taken a pretty big step back, uh, but K-State does what good defenses should do to bad offenses. They, they hold them under uh, 300, they hold them under 400 yards uh, for not a great passing day for Trickett or Paul Millard. Uh, they really do a great job in this one uh, defensively holding the ears to 12 points. K-State wins 35 to 12 first big 12 win of the season. We move next uh, to the Farmageddon showdown. And this is a, uh, the only real non-competitive Farmageddon game of the entire 2-0 era. Uh, K-State runs away from Iowa State, and this this is Paul Rhodes' worst team. Uh, I I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, but 41-7 is the score. Uh, Again, we we seemingly don't get any kind of resolution in in, in the Jake Waters versus Daniel Sams debate. Uh, Sams uh, goes four for five for 64 yards, has a touchdown pass. Jake Waters, though, sharp himself, nine for 15 for a buck 57. Um, K-State doesn't really do a ton offensively. Uh, they're very balanced in this game, 226 on the ground, 221 through the air. Uh, but Iowa State set him up with a couple of nice short fields. The Cats forced three turnovers in this game. Just great to see this team really starting to gain confidence now after that big blowout went against West Virginia. They come back and follow it up the same week. They keep a losing team losing and hammer Iowa State the way that we expected them to. This is an alternative uniform win for all of those people. This is the game we wore the the digital camo power cats on the helmet, which you can't tell was even different than normal helmets unless you were five feet away from a player. But it's alternate, and we won. So there you go. Very exciting to see those helmets. First time in my lifetime that – well, that's not true. First – well, yeah. Because Ron Prince doesn't count, right? So first time in my lifetime that we had alternates. And Ron um, Prince were so subtle and pointless. Yeah. There was the uh, one of my favorite plays, the uh, Tremaine Thompson touchdown from Daniel yeah. Sams, where he's getting tackled, and the ball just finds itself right in its hands as he's being tackled and thrown to the ground into the end zone. I'm sure I'll post that video on on our Twitter account this week. 
very uh for for or older cats out there kind of reminiscent of the cotton bowl play the andre anderson catch uh now granted you don't have a, a, a host of bodies in the end zone you know the ball getting batted and deflected but that's just kind of what it reminded me of is just you know you, you didn't feel like anybody had a chance that ball was just gonna fall to the ground harmlessly incomplete pass but Tremaine a great great effort to haul that one in uh for the touchdown reception um and, and alex you bring up the alternate uniform man I sat in the south end zone this season uh, about, I think, 15 rows up. Did not know about the alternate camo helmets until you guys brought it up uh, before the show started. So I, I I was pretty close to the field. And even then, I, I could not tell that they had an alternate, quote yeah. unquote, helmet on. It was hard to tell. And I only knew because I saw before the game, someone on like the sideline posted a picture of it on Twitter. But, you know, because I think a few 2016, I believe we had the actual like the white camo helmets, which were pretty sweet. I think we lost. I like those. State yeah, those are sweet. And they were like legit, like alternate helmets. These were like this. The power cat sticker and the stripe down the helmet was like a, a digital camo. So it was like mm-hmm. dark purple, some lavender, some white. But it was very subtle. But it counts. So let's bring on the all white stormtrooper. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm all about that. Um, if you follow any of us on Twitter, I think we're all very much in the pro switch your switch the, well, the pants, the hats, do it all, all white. Because we're all 50 years old, so, you know. <laughs> and I nice. will fight anybody who says that our all whites do not look uh, better than Texas's. I will take that to my grave. Uh, all right, cats. I Get mean, right our, um, against Iowa State, 41-7. to uh, Robert Rose copped one up inside the 10 and let the clones get on the board in the late, late in the fourth quarter in that one. But nevertheless, K-State hammers the clones, uh, almost double up on them in total yards. So we're 4-4 and, uh, we're four and four going on the road to take on Cliff Kingsbury's what would really be his one of his better teams at Tech. Um, all the Tupperville holdovers had actually – kind of materialized into a pretty solid group this season. They were 25th going into this game was Texas Tech. They were 7-2 and two overall. K-State coming in at just 4-4. Four and four. Um, Cats, not surprisingly, dogs going into this game. But they do anything and everything that they wanted to Texas Tech. Um, this is one of my favorite games of the 2-0 era. I, I hate Texas Tech with a passion that consumes my soul. Um, one of my favorite plays from this game, Ty Zim, uh, he's got the big Gronk brace on his shoulder. He's just, he's, he's hobbled, but he's playing through the pain and everything. He has the, the pick six late in the fourth quarter, uh, when, uh, this get, one's pretty well out of reach, but this one really put it on ice, put K-State up 49 to 19. Um, and Baker, uh, at this point in time, again, for the, for the younger crowd out there, Baker Mayfield started his career at Texas Tech and he just had perhaps the greatest effort you will ever see trying to bring down an opposing defender uh just the the biggest Olay you will ever see in your life this this one was a whole lot of fun to watch as K-State hammers Texas Tech 49 to 26 yeah outside of that uh Ty Zimmerman play um you know just a quarterback who was a walk-on who would eventually just you know leave the program so not much uh, memories there with him, I'm sure, for Tech fans. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, they had a pretty good one. Wait. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I 
I don't remember too much about this game, and I had a hard time finding any highlight reels of this game, so I didn't really get my memory jogged, I guess. Well, Clint, I'll, I'll play into to your uh, little uh, shtick here. Tremaine Thompson, uh, back-to-back weeks, has kind of a similar touchdown grab in this game uh, where Jake Waters is in at quarterback, gets tech to jump, uh, and then free play says, F it, we're going down, uh, down the field. And Tremaine Thompson, I remember just more like you don't often see the five, eight guy kind of like boxing out the defender, but that's pretty much what Tremaine does. And I just remember holding the ball out just very clearly after he snagged it and just, I <laughs> just love watching the little guy trying to box out a defender the way that he did. And that put K-State up 35 to 10 uh, with a minute 10 left in the second quarter. K-State, uh, th- this one was never really in doubt after, after about, Midway through the second, when K State got up 21-10, and then Texas Tech uh, again, there the, this was a, a stereotypical Kingsbury team. You know that they're going to throw it 50 plus times in the game, and they they got theirs in the passing department. But K State actually did a pretty decent job in limiting them uh, collectively. Uh, Baker Mayfield only 4.2 yards per attempt. That's a pretty good day at the office if you're on the defensive side and they forced him also into two interceptions now baker mayfield he was 34 44 so he, he almost hit 80 percent of his throws but no touchdowns two picks and then davis webb also got some time in there at qb uh he was 13 of 20 uh had the lone touchdown pass for the red raiders so w- whenever you hold texas tech the way that K-State did, only one passing touchdown for one of the best passing offenses in the country. I, I think that does say something about what Hayes and company had done in that contest and, and the way that they game plan for it. The defensive line uh, really pr- pressured those quarterbacks and, and they got a lot of underneath throws, but very sure tackling all across the board in the linebacker core and secondary in this one. Uh, Jonathan Truman, 12 stops for him. Randall Evans, 10 stops at nickel. Kip Daly, eight tackles. Slaughter, six tackles. Like, just a lot of very solid, again, I use the expression, buttoned-up play from the defense. Very, very entertaining to watch this one as K-State advances now to five and four. Um, so now, all of a sudden, team that we're talking about potentially missing out on a bowl game back in contention for it the following week as they get ready to take on TCU. Now, uh, this TCU squad's kind of dipped a little bit. There were some pretty high preseason expectations on Gary Patterson and company, and they didn't really live up to them this year. But this was, uh, I I want your guys' take on on this game uh, for the way that it unfolded uh, and so much drama in the fourth quarter. I don't really remember a lot about this one. And I remember more so games where K-State pulls away. They separate. There's big, you know, key moments where K-State wins, you know, on a big third down or they hit a big pass or whatever the case is. This is just a very high quality competitive football game. I don't know what you guys remember about this one because I I had to go back and watch a lot because I really did not recall a whole lot from this game. Uh, just the back and forth in the second half. Um, I, I went back and watched uh, a lot of it also. Uh, I, they did say there were six lead changes in the second half. Um, I'm not sure when in the game it was, but one of the more memorable plays was Tyler Lockett making uh, a future all-pro NFL player Jason Barrett look incredibly foolish 
with uh, just a double move that left uh, the poor guy just looking the complete wrong direction. Tyler Lockett was open by 20 yards by the time he got the ball. Um, but that last uh, drive that they needed to go down to win the game with the field goal was set up by TCU hitting a 56-yard field goal to go up 31-30 to with just over two minutes left. Um, I feel like any time we needed a two-minute drive in Snyder 2.0, that, there was just no question that it was not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> not very optimistic. Yeah, so so this the the final drive here was very memorable for me. <clears throat> yeah, I remember the 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 Tyler Lockett play. This as it was in the second quarter or the first quarter of the game, so pretty early. But um, just the the game winning kick, back and forth game. Um, you know, TCU is kind of struggling this year, but obviously they were going to turn it on the next year. Was this was this the uh, the Casey Paul Hall year where he like quit the team? Have you know like four or five games in, and Boykin was a receiver, and they'd have put him over at quarterback. Is that how how that happened? I remember them talking about Boykin about him being like the most dynamic player in the in the Big Twelve. So he definitely played quarterback, <laughs> but I think they kind of put him all over the place. Okay, because I remember. They started, I believe it was this season, they started the year with a, the Paul Hall guy mm-hmm. who was supposed to be, like, super good. And I think, what, four or five games into the year, he ended up quitting the team or something. So I, maybe Boykin was a younger guy, backup quarterback, but I think he was not really expected to be the guy that year. And obviously he turns into a, you know, was he a Heisman finalist the next year or was in the conversation in 2014? He was definitely in the conversation. I don't know where he finished. Um, Incredible, incredibly athletic quarterback. Um, And I think it's, you know, definitely showed in this game. I was pretty impressed. You know, TCU was four and seven at the end of this game, but you know, they, they definitely had a lot more talent than their record was showing. The 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 Paul Hall the storyline there I believe there there were some concerns about Paul Hall um, and substances if oh. I remember right um, I, I would have to go back and read some of the, uh, the 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 stories on that prior to the game but um, yeah th- this was before Gary one of the big gripes Gary Patterson had to deal with again there was never a question about the defense for TCU. Um, they they really struggled offensively transitioning into the Big 12, and I, I believe it was the next season when they bring in uh, Sonny Cumbie, Doug Meacham to come and open things up, and they start spreading things out and go and hurry up and tempo and whatnot. But th- this is still uh, the, the season prior in 2013 when they're s- still a little bit more conventional in their attack and how they, they approach games offensively um but again a great back and forth as you uh, alluded to there clint um and i too was in that same exact camp of i i cannot and at this point too you would have to if i held a if you held a gun to my head i would probably say what was the last time a k-state had a a last minute touchdown drive to win or a last minute scoring drive to go uh, ahead or to tie a game in a clutch situation. I would probably 
against my better judgment here, but I would probably say you got to go back to like the O2 Holiday Bowl. I, I don't know if that that's the game or not, but I, I just at that point in Snyder's development, like I, I never really trusted that team because, again, we we were always so ingrained to expect games to go a certain way. And, you know, Snyder wanted to coach games a certain way with the offense running the ball, controlling time of possession, controlling field position. And that's to that when you play that particular fashion, you obviously need to run the ball effectively. You need to control the offensive line and you're not really going to be expected to make a ton of plays in the passing game. So that's that's why I think we were all kind of nervous when this happened. I, I remember from my seat in the south end zone too, like uh, we were over uh, in section 15. So as I watched that field goal that Obercrom kicked, I, I thought initially that thing was going to push to the right. And then it just snakes right back in at the last second. And, and that was one of those where I'm like, you know what? He's got a 56 yard field goal. If this kid's going to cash this, like then that's, that's going to be that, like, if that's how you lose this game, that's how you lose this game. But um, what I, to circle back to a point I made earlier where we saw this team against North Dakota state have an opportunity late to try and get a, a tying score or a go ahead score. And Jake waters just kind of spit the bit. We, we don't see that this time around. He, he effectively drives them down, gets them into field goal range, Tyler Lockett with a bunch of critical receptions uh, in very tight spots in this, in this one. And then Jack Cantelli comes through with what amounts to being the game winner. Another question for you guys, because we see this a couple of times in Snyder 2-0. Why in God's name are we kicking the ball with three seconds left and we can just let the time run out so we don't even have to worry about kicking the ball off? <laughs> Does anybody, can anybody explain that to me? Or am I the only one who's noticed that? They always talked about on the radio about the the strategy of it. It never made sense to me. Did, if we had a timeout, the only thing that makes sense is if it's not fourth down and you have a timeout, you give yourself a chance to, you know, or I guess even if it's if you don't have a timeout, you can intentionally ground the ball and just, you know, stop the clock and you have another shot at it if if you have a bad snap. That's the only thing I can think of. <sighs> Are we going to talk that, about that the, penalty? Was my... the penalty? The the oh, two players the, uh... wearing number two. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, that. Uh... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I I was just hoping someone else is going to bring it up because I I wasn't sure what point in the game that it happened. I believe it was a fourth down, and it didn't give us a first down, but it made it much closer. I'd have to go back. I, I, I've i watched, again, snippets of this game and highlights of this game. I don't remember exactly when that occurred, but I do remember Bill flagging down one of the zebras and, and showing the number two. And because of, again, I, this is another thing that I will never understand is, is guys switching jersey numbers to return. And I, I know some of that's by 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 personnel groupings who you're you're going to have on your kick return unit, your punt return unit, whatever you end up doing. But to me, like, why even chance it if you know, like, the guy that who's going to be returning the ball is going to have the same number as one of the, you know, who might be a gunner or whatever the case. Like, there's just, to me, that doesn't make any sense to even chance it with somebody like that. But I remember that play d- does end up making a difference on, um, if I remember right, that was... 
leading up to the what would be the drive where Sam's has the lunging uh, first down that sets K-State up to get them at that point in time, what was the go-ahead uh, field goal to make it 30 to 28. Um, I thank you for bringing that up, Clint. I got to go back and look at that because I don't remember all the specifics surrounding it, but I do remember it was a very pivotal play. I have to make a correction because I was uh, clearly thinking of a different season, but apparently Casey Pawha was the quarterback in this game. Yeah, I think Boykin maybe threw one pass. Yes. I'm sure he played quite a bit. <laughs> well, I was going through all their box scores just now to figure out when Pawha was not on the team anymore. It was like every game he's like, I think he threw like 33 passes and we're the second to last game of the season. I think what happened was, looking at his career at TCU, he played a lot as a sophomore, and then he barely played as a junior. I think that's when he was going through some personal issues. But clearly, I misremembered the whole thing. I must have been thinking of that 2015 game when Trayvon Boykin was obviously pretty good. Yeah, his his 14 and 15 seasons when he does, like I said, when they kind of make that transition in their offense and whatnot that's when he really really took off and that's when tcu kind of blew up uh really for what was the height of the gary patterson era at least in the big 12 but the cats uh do come back they win this game they they demonstrate now we've we've kind of learned we learned from the error of our ways in the early season jake waters and daniel sams again this is (laughs) we we jake waters is is more or less taken over as starter at this point in the season, but Sam's is still getting the opportunity. He ends up with, you know, 109 yards rushing in this game. He doesn't throw the ball a lot, only has five attempts. Jake Waters, not a banner today, throwing the ball 10, only 10 for 24, but he goes for 234 yards and has a couple of deep bombs. Like we said, that the double move to Tyler Lockett and then uh, Tremaine, Clint, you're missing it, man. You got to call out Tremaine when he catches in a deep ball uh, or hauls in a deep ball. So a, a great win for K-State. Bowl eligible now for the fourth consecutive season. And uh, the Cats are now at six and four with uh, a game at this point. This is an Oklahoma team as we move to the uh, to senior day. This was not one of Stoops better squads Trevor Knight was quarterbacking this group and they they had stumbled and and stubbed their toe in a couple of games earlier in the season so that this was not a group that was in Big 12 title contention but this was still a pretty respectable OU team and K-State comes in here with a chance to to look and say well man the thought of the this team potentially finishing the year with the with an eight and four mark and potentially getting a ninth win in a bowl game. That's kind of remarkable when you think about this team starting 0-3 in conference play. That carrot was definitely out there. But this was not K-State's day, unfortunately. This is one of the coldest games I've ever been to. My God, it was brutal outside. Um, They're playing Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett just had himself a day in this one, caught everything that came his way. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Lockett and I have had personal conversations about this game. About, he told me that it was his uh, uh, greatest game he ever played. And by personal conversations, I mean that I uh, made a highlight video of it, and he had a small little comment on it. So that was still <laughs> a nice moment for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, K-State was rolling at this point. There was no reason that we thought that, didn't think that K-State could win this game. 
And it was it was pretty close halfway through, but then OU just started pulling away. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those games, and it happened a few more times. Uh, but even though we beat them in 2012, you still never really felt good about playing Oklahoma. And no. yeah, I remember this game being really damn cold. Uh, I remember. Lock it going off. I remember him getting hurt in this game on a kick return, I believe. Um, similar injury that he had to Oklahoma State. Uh, kind of like a guy who kind of landed on his back or whatever. And then I remember the third down play in the end zone that uh, I don't remember who it was. Was it Randall Evans, I believe? Fell for a pump fake. Trevor Knight ends up scrambling for a six-yard third-and-six conversion, and I think that ended up being a like a 92-yard touchdown drive or something like that, um, which was – I don't think that was a fourth-quarter drive, but that was still a pretty – I think it might have been first half before halftime, but that's a play that sticks out. K-State averages 1.1-yard rushing this game. Just seemed like all year long it was one or the other. We could either pass the ball or run the ball, not both. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This was uh this was a game where uh Jake gets a lion's share of the snaps at quarterback and, and um it's not that I won't I won't say that K State was taken out of the run game. I, I think it's just that the Wildcats were were doing a great job of exploiting Oklahoma over the top because uh, the Sooners don't blow the doors off of K-State the way that um, that um, Texas did. Granted, Oklahoma does get up 14 to nothing in this game, but K-State comes right back after the Sooners get that second score and they answer back with a 48-yard touchdown pass, Waters to Lockett. Uh, then next possession, K-State goes again up top, waters to lock it. <laughs> You're going to hear this a lot in this game. And then Oklahoma and the defense did kind of let the group down in this one. And, and it wasn't really through the air. Trevor Knight wasn't particularly sharp in this one, uh, only through through it for a little bit less than nine, uh, an attempt. Brennan Clay uh, at running back really is the one who wrecks this game for K-State's defense. He goes for 200 yards and a couple touchdowns. So the, the Cats give up a 64-yard touchdown run there with, at the 4.06 mark in the second quarter. Then they come right back. Jake Waters uh, throws a deep bomb to Tyler, <laughs> Tyler Lockett, 90 yards for a touchdown, 21-21. So at this point, we're we're thinking that we're going to go just level in at halftime. And, and unfortunately, K-State has um, a couple of mishaps on the next defensive possession. Oklahoma gets a field goal right at the gun to take a 24-21 lead into the locker room. They get another field goal to start off the second half on a possession two where uh, Randall Evans has a chance to jump on a fumble, uh, but Oklahoma is able to get back on it. And that's, so that allows the Sooners to stretch the lead to six K-State draws to within 27 to 24, but this one kind of comes unraveled in the fourth quarter with a Brennan clay touchdown run to make it a 10 point game. And then there's a, another possession yet again, where K-State's down in deep in Oklahoma territory and they end up throwing a pick six to Zach Sanchez. So this game got away from K-State and this is yet another loss at home to the Sooners. Again, you have to go all the way back 
to the 1996 season, the last time K-State beat Oklahoma at home in the regular season. It just did not happen during the Snyder 1.0 era. It did not happen during the uh, Rod Prince era, certainly, and it did not happen at the beginning of the Snyder 2.0 era. So Cats drop this one. They fall to 6-5 and on the season, and then uh, they do come back the next week. And they put a nice bow on the year with a three touchdown victory over the Kansas Jayhawks in Lawrence. I I remember next to nothing about this game other than the fact that I had been uh, I went to uh, this was Thanksgiving weekend and I always go to my wife is from Hayes. So I was in Hayes and I remember getting violently ill the Friday night before the game um, <laughs> and uh, the next the Saturday morning. I am just dehydrated, just dying, like, you know, barely staying awake for this one. And then, I mean, that's pretty much reflective of how this game went. K-State's defense totally limits KU, 223 yards uh, given up by the Wildcat defense. K-State never really, like, blows this one wide open. They get up 21 to nothing, but it it never really felt like this was going to be one of those 55 to, to 10 type of games, unfortunately. So, just a very workmanlike 31 to 10 win. Any takeaways from this one from either of you? I don't remember much. I remember it being kind of a ho-hum game. You know, we hold them to 72 yards, but we only get 208. So probably not a super exciting game, but I don't think I was ever worried about it. Yeah. John Hubert has his, one of his better games. Goes well over 200 yards. Um, just controlled the ground. Uh, wish... Kept thinking, probably should be beating them by more than this, but, uh, you know, we had it, so not a big deal. And, was, and this is a game to – oh, go ahead, Alex. I was looking at rushing yards, not total yards. Sorry. <laughs> no, Racing, you're, it's a, sounds like a normal football game. I was like, <laughs> 52, that must have been – My apologies. And, and a couple, a couple of nice uh, – Yikes. Nice ways to end their careers. Uh, Blake Slaughter with a 15 tackle performance in his final regular season game. Um, John Hubert, to this point in his career, has just been like every year gets like 948 yards, 900. Like he's just, you're always wondering, like, man, is he going to get a thousand? Is he going to get a thousand? And, and he does end up doing that in uh, K State's bowl game. Uh, K State goes, uh, Back to Phoenix, different, uh, same destination, uh, destination, different, much different bowl game. This is the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. Uh, it's taken on several corporate sponsors over the year. I really miss it when it was called the Copper Bowl. Um, I always thought that sounded kind of badass, and but that was um, also, you know, you got to go back to the 90s for that. Um, the, the game against Michigan, probably the most boring 17 point win and this this is a Michigan team that's coached by Brady Hoke Brady Hoke's on his way out the door this was not a very motivated Michigan squad and and to that point though K-State really does exploit that and this is this is kind of really and the way the, the way that I see this really is the preview of what we see pretty much all of of 2014. Yeah I mean Lockett had had quite a few coming out parties. I mean, we knew he was a star, but between the OU game and this game, it just, he was an absolute superstar. He could do whatever he wanted. And that connection with Jake Waters was just really working. Those three touchdowns, I I just always will remember 
the cornerback just throwing his hands up in frustration, just knowing that there was nothing he could do to stop Tyler Lockett. Also complaining about a push-off that wasn't there, but... Yeah, it wasn't even close. And Tyler should have had another one in this game. He dropped one in the what in the back of the end zone from uh from Sam's. But that was when the game strategic. was already strategic. Strategic. Yeah. Well, Sam's yeah. just didn't throw a very nice ball, so can't blame him. It was on the fucking numbers. Probably a pretty boring, you know, win. Kind of your typical bowl bowl game where one team might not really have much to play for, and one team, you know, but uh. I love this game because we got to beat the shit out of Michigan and we ended a bowl drought, bowl uh, losing streak. So <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> it was really fun. I mean, I, I almost like games like this more than I do close games. Yeah. Uh, and I, for some reason, I remember thinking like either before the game or during the game, Jake Long was doing some shit talking and it was just nice to shut him up. So, mm-hmm. That guy's yeah, like this, uh, this game, right? What was that? <laughs> that guy's life must must have been miserable ever since. <laughs> Wonder what he's up to these. Yeah, yeah. Um, now this this game was just uh, this this was a lot of fun, and, and again, uh, beating a, a name program like Michigan again, one of the winningest programs in the sport. It's awesome, regardless of whether they were motivated, whether they weren't motivated, you know, to see the guys go out and, and again, just take care of business and beat a team that, you know, if you went back and looked at recruiting classes, Michigan would certainly uh, have the advantage in that department the preceding, you know, three, four years. I'm sure if you stack those classes up side by side. So great to see K-State come and, and, and take care of business and, and win this game going away. This game should have been a lot worse than 31 to 14 K state did whatever it wanted to do in this ball game. Again, uh, the drop touchdown by Tyler Lockett uh, certainly doesn't diminish what he, what he did in this contest. He just wrecked uh, Michigan from start to finish. Take waters uh, just impeccable in this one, 21 to 27 uh, for 271, three touchdowns, no picks. Like I said, that connection with Tyler Lockett, that's really a preview of of what all that's like, what 2014 is going to be in a nutshell. Um, so we see K-State win this game. John Hubert gets 80 yards rushing, doesn't end up eclipsing that 1,000-yard mark, so a nice way for him to end his K-State career. And uh, looking again at, at some of the other guys who, who made some big contributions for this uh, for this game, and another kind of a, a preview of what we would see, uh, Travis Britz, uh, some nice contributions from him. Dante Barnett, he ends up having a pick, almost takes it back to the house in this game. Um, a lot of, you know, returning pieces coming back for the 2014 defense, Jonathan Truman, another one, uh, we would see him make quite a few plays for that 2014 team. So um, Snyder always talks ad nauseum about how important it is for, for underclassmen to get the, the bowl experience, to get the extra practices, so on and so forth. So it, w- it was nice to see the guys come out and, and, and handle business uh, like we all thought that they were capable of doing. So K-State wraps up 2013 at eight and five ends that five uh, five year bowl drought with a, a victory over one of the winningest programs again in college football history so now we we 
kind of look forward to a couple of uh, off-season topics here. Uh, I, I think the main one that we we look at it just with the way that the season unfolded is. Uh, I'll just ask you this, J- Jake Waters. I, I think we knew what the coaching staff was going to do with him. Uh, at this point, I, I I always question like, man, what what if we gave him more opportunities in the passing game? Would it make a difference? I, I think though, Jake has uh, pretty well taken the one spot, and I I wasn't too brokenhearted about it at this point. What were you guys feeling heading into the offseason on that front? I felt like by the end of the year, it was pretty clear that Waters was going to be the guy in 14. And I I agreed with that. I thought that was the right um, right direction. And uh, Clint talked about it. You know, Tyler Lockett was just, you know, insane towards the end of the season. Um, so, you know, I think going into the next year, you want to have your best possible throwing threat at quarterback uh, to throw the ball to one of the best wide receivers in school history for his senior year. Yeah, I was definitely hoping that Sam's would stick around um, so that he could eventually be the starting quarterback, even if it was only going to be for the one year in 2015. Um, you know, he went on to uh, try out wide receiver in the spring. I always hoped that he would give more a running back a shot than wide receiver. I felt like he was more suited for that, especially since we were losing John Hubert. Um, you know, maybe we'll talk about this more next pod, but uh, Sam's a few years ago put out that video where he was basically explaining what happened at K-State. And he said that Bill Snyder gave him a shot in practice to try out quarterback, but basically told him, was like, no, you're not going to play quarterback. You're a backup quarterback. We can't allow you to get injured out there playing receiver. Um, so I, I do understand why he wanted to try out his luck at a different school and um, to be quarterback. Um, but I'll always look back at it, what could have been in that 2015 year. Um, but going forward into 2014, I was pretty excited for that connection between Jake Waters and Tyler Lockett. Um, throughout my lifetime, K-State had been a running school, so I was really looking forward to um, seeing that passing offense and what they could do. Yeah, you, you raise a good point there. We, we've we really never known, uh, you know, for the better part of 1.0, or at least the part that we're probably more familiar with. Um, 1.0, we, we, people talk so much about Bill zigging when the – when the opposing coaches were zagging and so on and so forth. And, and we see guys like, you know, Chad may have a very successful season when just throwing the ball over the, all over the yard. We see them do the same thing with Matt Miller. Now, granted, those guys both had the luxury of some pretty big weapons to throw to and Kevin Lockett and Andre Coleman, Tyson Schweiger, um, Mitch running a lot of great guys in the arsenal for them to throw the ball to. And then really for the entire, the, the latter half of two of one Oh, and the beginning of two Oh, it, it is entirely, that is run focused at this QB run centric. And I think uh, you bring up a great point in that that's something I think as fans, we probably didn't appreciate at the time because a lot of folks I think still, and people to this day probably still felt that the the ceiling might've been higher with a guy like Sam's because of that element he gave you in the run game. I mean, when you think about it too, this, he finished 
ninth in the conference in rushing uh, with uh, just over 800 yards. And this is with him playing, you know, what probably amounts to being maybe seven, eight games. Uh, and, and that's in, in part-time reps too. Like you, you just you extrapolate that out, man, what could he have done had he stuck around? But I think Jake though, what he did um, and he, he gave fans a lot of confidence uh, in the passing game and that that security and knowing, I think, with the TCU game, I think about how he managed the TCU game at the end and the way that he acquitted himself there. I think we knew that, OK, we've got a guy who can throw it around the yard. We, we've got a one of the premier wide receivers in this conference. I, I think that there's a lot of things that we can look forward to offensively with this group uh, moving forward into 2014. Now, uh, just kind of put a bow on this episode here. Uh, looking at the all-conference team, no no shock here. K-State's Tyler Lockett, first team all-Big 12 at wide receiver. B.J. Finney, first team on the offensive line. Tyler Lockett, also first team as a return man. Defensively, the uh, and Clint, I wanted to ask you about this. Ryan Mueller, just out of nowhere. I mean, and we, we, we hear so much. He was really kind of the poster boy for for, for the the hard, the gritty, hard-nosed effort walk-on type, earning the scholarship and so forth. Like he was really the guy who did that, and this season was one of the more memorable ones from somebody in in his type of position. Yeah, I mean, BJ Finney on the offensive line was the same way. Um, you know, Ryan Mueller did get a good amount of uh, playing time behind Adam Davis and Meshack Williams the year before, um, but for him to come on and I believe he tied the record for sacks that year, didn't he? 11.5. One of the many defensive ends in K-State history that has gotten to the record but not broken what broken it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he finishes uh, finished second in the Big 12 uh, behind Jackson Jeffcoat in sacks that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys, where do you think he ranks? Because I think he's maybe the, um, depending on who you ask, he'd be uh, a very wide difference in the rankings as far as defensive ends at K-State. I think you got Darren Howard, who's definitely number one. And then most people, I think, would put uh, Jordan Willis number two. But then there's kind of a log jam where you could say Ryan Mueller's number three or he's all the way down like number 10 as far as great K-State defensive ends. Yeah, I'm not I'm not great at ranking stuff like that because I don't necessarily do the, you know, in-depth comparisons and I tend to forget players and whatnot, but <clears throat> he's definitely in that like second tier of, uh, you know, outside of the top, maybe the elite two or three guys that have played here. He's probably in that second group, but I'm not going to give it a go with my uh, <laughs> shoddy memory of, of players. I'm sure I'd forget somebody. Would you put him in like with Ian Campbell or would Ian Campbell be? Well, yeah, there's that log jam there with Ian Campbell, Meshack Williams, Niall Wyron, Chris Johnson, Mighty Monty Beisel. Then you could even throw like Dirk Oaks, Andrew Scholl, Niall Wyron. I'll let Clint list off the the names. Yeah, (laughs) I think he's definitely, like you said, uh, probably a lot of people might think he's way up there and other people might be like, Oh no, he, you know, he wasn't that, you know, I think it's just the, the way he played kind of limits his, uh, it's one of those things like he made that, he made that great play against Baylor, 
But uh, a lot of his plays, you just kind of look at them and you could say, oh, well, that's a hustle play. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of play, I, I, a lot of people like to downplay you as a football player if you're just making hustle plays instead of yeah. just being super skillful at football. But part of playing football is, you know, it's not all about skill. Sometimes it's just about the the hustle and the, the desire and the will to like finish out a play when other players might not. For sure. That man's motor was always on full throttle. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, I know we talked about it in the 2012 season, uh, the, the, the infamous play where Meshack blindside Seth Daigie and Jarrell child scoops it up. So, I remember watching this. I, I my seats and se- my season tickets in the were in the upper deck that year, and I remember just laughing my ass off. Ryan Mueller is, is kind of out in ahead of the charge there w- with Jarrell Childs, and he's just looking for somebody to light the fuck up. Like he is just, <laughs> lo- and then he's the one who gets flagged because of the block. But he is just looking and just headhunting and wanting to just end Seth Daigie's world. Uh, but that's uh, that's kind of a testament to the player that he was, though. The dudes, you, you have to commend the guy for always having the high motor, for never giving up on plays, and 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 playing playing defense in the Big Twelve. It's tough. Like you, you, everything is just tempo, tempo, tempo. Got to be in shape. Got to be in condition. And you just and you have to hustle because you don't know if play's gonna if you might end up back in the frame, you know, <laughs> because of just how quick teams move, how, how offenses are so spread out. You got to make, make sure you're ready to make plays when they come to you. And I think Mueller, when, when you talk about him in the one uh, or in the two O context, I, I certainly think he's ahead of just about everybody with the exception of again, Jordan Willis, I would put ahead of him probably uh, I'd have to say Meshack Williams uh, as well, but I'd say he would rank ahead of Adam Davis. He probably ranks ahead. Uh, he certainly ranks ahead of Wyatt Hubert. I, I've got some, some very mixed uh, emotions about Wyatt Hubert and whether or not he um, cares about setting edges and, and gap <laughs> responsibilities as opposed to just bull rush, bull rush, bull rush, upfield, upfield, upfield. No, um, yeah. Like, debate of like ability versus production too you know like a lot of those guys you're like man he was really good but you're like even if they he they these specific players may have edged out Mueller in skill and athleticism they probably didn't edge him out in productivity mm-hmm. you know so and then guys like Ian Campbell and Rob Jackson who were forced to play in the 3-4 defense which basically ruined yeah. their stats Never know what they could have been, truly. Right. You also know Ryan Mueller has a big sack on him for dumping that Gatorade on Snyder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the dude. uh, Yeah, you got to, again, he... You know, he paid for that. (laughs) The dude was just, I mean, he really was a machine in in 2013 for this k-state defense and blake slaughter also he led the team in tackles had a hunt over 110 uh, excuse me 110 stops that season travis brits uh, was another name shack Reed, jonathan truman a lot of a lot of fun guys to talk about on on this defensive side and i think we also need to mention uh, another guy who who wrapped up his k-state career uh ty zimmerman after this season i i don't think there's much debate about him being the best safety of the 2-0 era clint alex any other thoughts on on that uh no in that time frame he's he's definitely number one yeah 
agree. Yeah, a, a, a very uh, illustrious career for him. Uh, started really pretty much since day one. He came into that really horrific uh, unit that played in 2010, but was starting pretty much from the jump um, and has just a, a terrific career uh, at safety for K-State. Has uh, collects over 250 tackles, 13 interceptions, two of which he returns for touchdowns. Uh, has 13 passes defense, a, a great, and again, while I, I reel off statistics because it's easy to, <laughs> easy to do that and easy to look at football reference, um, I think he is a leader that that's really the part that gets undersold as it, with his contributions to the program. I, I remember too, he was, um, he, he was on the shelf for that Oklahoma game, which, which should have been his final home game as a senior. He could not play um, and just bawling his eyes out as he when they were calling out the player introductions and, and you know that he he was a, a he's emo to the core like he, he just he cared about this program so much and it, it, that was probably one of the toughest guys to watch leave after his el- eligibility uh runs out after that 2013 season uh john and, and another guy i feel like we need to to mention here as we kind of get ready to to book in this episode john hubert um Mr. Reliable, really. What what else? What other things can you say about him other than that? Like he, this guy, if you think about it, you know, going back to the beginning of his career, Colin, Colin, Sam's, Waters, like who, regardless of who was under center, he he was always he he. I, I nobody's going to confuse him for being dynamic, one of the more dynamic running backs in K State history. But I think he he really deserves a, a specific spot on the mantle so to speak um just with the way that he like he this guy always produced he always produced he never put the ball on the ground ever like i don't think you can really quantify how valuable he was at that running back position yeah i mean he's one of those guys that people are constantly telling me how underrated he was and i hate it when people do that because when everyone's saying you're underrated how can you be underrated (laughs) but then i go back and i watch these highlights and i was like wow I really underrate John Hubert. That guy is good. Um, yeah, he's he's no Darren Sproles. He's no Daniel Thomas, but he is every bit as good as anyone else we've had over the Bill Snyder uh, 1.0 or 2.0. Yeah, the same argument I had with Mueller. It's, you know, maybe not the athleticism or the skill or the speed or, you know, the size, but it's that production, you know. If you put him up against all these other – you know, he was – he he's he played as a freshman because uh, Bryce Brown fizzled out, you know, and <laughs> production, you know, he, you put him in and he did his job and he wasn't no he wasn't a slouch. Like a lot of his plays are pretty damn impressive mm-hmm. from uh, from ath- athletic standpoint. It's not just a <clears throat> it's not just a, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust type thing. Like Clint mentioned that. uh <clears throat> stiff arm against Iowa State and you know he he was a he was a hard guy to bring down and made all the right plays when you needed him to make them I'm a big fan he's so then you should know that that was his sophomore year when he took over for Bryce Brown if you're that big fan Alex damn it (laughs) (laughs) no I think that that really does about that's about as good a way to characterize him as you could like, that's probably the biggest compliment that you can give to him is that 
the and Clint, you've touched on it in previous pods that Bryce Brown was the biggest get of all of Snyder's 2.0 recruiting. This was a running back. This was supposed to be can't miss. This guy's going to run for 1,500 yards. He's going to be, you know, a first, maybe not a first round draft pick, but certainly a second rounder. No doubt about it. And and Bryce just totally fizzles, mails it in, doesn't want to even try to compete. And and John Hubert, though, is sitting there doing the grunt work, doing the little things within practice to get himself time. And and he ends up showing out in a lot of big stages that first season when he took like when he took the job from Bryce Brown. You think about the Miami game. He has a huge kind of a breakout performance in that game. That's kind of overshadowed by Collins effort against Miami. But uh, he has a big day running the ball. Uh, the big win in 2012 at Oklahoma he is really he and the offensive line deserve all the credit in the world for for taking that game over he has over 100 yards rushing in that game has a nice 1000 yard season in 2013 to to wrap up his career finishes just shy of 3000 yards we see a slight uptick each year uh 4.9 per carry his uh June or excuse me sophomore year then 5 then 5.3 just as reliable as you can possibly be. And I, I'm not, this is not hyperbolic when I say he did not fumble the ball ever. He was as reliable as you can possibly ask for at the running back position. And probably a big reason why Snyder loved him as much as he did and gave him that opportunity, perhaps ahead of Bryce is how, how diligent and focused he was on taking care of the ball. Um, a lot of, in this 2013 team to kind of take a step back and look at it in the macro. Uh, This was a very solid group up and down. Really. Again, we talk about that. They really, if they don't dick trip in those first three conference games, they should have won at least two, if not all three of them, they they could have very, very easily found themselves in contention for a big 12 championship at the end of this, this conference season. But I think you, you just had that right mix of variables, unfortunately, where, You've got so much new personnel on the defensive side, and you're still trying to find your way at that quarterback position. And and we have some in, uh, very untimely injuries with Tyler going out for for a bit there at that start of the at the start of the season. Tremaine Thompson on the shelf for a bit. It, it really just kind of spelled doom. And I think if you if you would really, Clint, you mentioned it. If the if the schedule makers flipped this whole thing and we're playing Oklahoma State, Baylor, and um, Texas in the last three games of this season, I, I think there's a pretty strong case that you can make that this group finds a way to at least win one, if not two or three of those games. They they were right there when they were at their worst in this season, and they this group was was so close, so close in so many in, in ways. But I, I really for for as dramatic as this season was, I, I love this team. This is probably my, I, I'd say this is more fun for me than the 2011 squad because this group was a little bit more dynamic offensively and they were a lot more polished, I think, by seasons and defensively. I, I don't know what, where, where does this group rank for you guys in terms of Snyder 2-0? It's probably not as high as you have them. Um, man, I... We'll we'll get there in a few pods, but I really love that 2016 team. That's after 2012 and 2011. That's my number yep. one. Yeah, I would say 2011, 2012, well, 2012, and then kind of 2011 with a subset of uh, 16 and 
14 just because 14 maybe wasn't the most fun year, but just, uh, you know, winning uh, 10 games was nice. And then 13 is kind of right on that level. But that 16 year and the 13 and 14, good times. Um, Just looking at this year, though, like you said, Jeff, and Clint alluded to it earlier about this schedule being so top heavy, uh, you know, first four in the conference, Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, three of those were our first three conference games. You know, I think we all felt like we laid an egg against Texas, but Texas ended up going seven and two in conference play. So turned out to not be such a bad loss. You know, it's it's one of those weird years where we uh, we didn't beat anyone ahead of us, but we didn't lose to anyone below us in conference. You know, we finished at five. Snyder in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that seems to be a theme kind of from here on is – you know, we, we weren't really beating a whole lot of teams that were ahead of us in the in the rankings, but we weren't really losing to any teams that were below us. Kind of, you kind of want to get those big wins, but, you know, you don't want to, it's kind of a safe type of boring brand. But, you know, I just wanted to point that out. Texas ended up going 7-2 uh, and two in conference play. I think they won six in a row including beating Oklahoma, starting with their, their win against us. So They know. did have an opportunity to win Big 12 against. They played Baylor and Waco last yeah. game of the season. Had they won, they would have won the conference outright, but that did not end up happening. Baylor, they lost unfortunately, in team in a, in a bowl game. So, yeah, that wasn't as bad of a, of a loss as it seemed at the time. Um, yeah, it was a good it was an interesting season for sure because it had a lot of growing pains, but uh, it turned out to be a pretty fun season, uh, ending with a, a nice bowl game win over some douchebags from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> you you re- really never knew what was going to happen with this group again week to week. You didn't know who was going to get the lion's share of reps at QB. You didn't know if the defense was going to be really sharp and dialed in or if they were going to give up like we said three bombs of over 50 yards for you know or this was uh, the the pieces were all there for this group but again they were just very inconsistent which sucked at times but I I still had an immense amount of fun watching this team albeit you know there were some frustrating moments but there were some moments that you really loved and and we got a good preview at the tail end of the year of what 2014 would hold which would be another very entertaining season for the Bill Snyder 2.0 era so with all that said guys I think we have reached a good point here to go ahead and call it a night. Uh, again, if you've stuck with us this wa- uh, this long, we certainly appreciate it. And go out if you haven't already. Go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter. It's college underscore Kimball. Uh, again, you'll find all of our individual Twitter handles linked out on that page. And also, if you have a few moments, certainly feel free to give us a rating uh, on Apple Podcast. Five stars. Again, we're we're blue chips here. We're not tryhards. Give us the right rating that we deserve. So give us those five stars. We certainly appreciate it. And as we always say at the end of all these wonderful shows that we've been putting out for you guys, Catsman, if you know, you know. The castle, the castle.